0: Good morning again, Conduit. How are you? Good. You are loved, and we have been praying for you this week. And um, I'm uh, eager to bring a word to you this morning. Um, we have, or we're starting this week, um, a, a brief series in the Gospel of Mark. So for the next several weeks, we'll be studying out of uh, Mark's Gospel, which is the shortest of all the Gospels, but is extraordinarily rich in uh, the way in which Mark tells the story of the life and the ministry of Jesus. Um, and uh, so we're going to jump right into it and, um, and go from there. Um, if there's one thing, there's one thing that, uh, I mean, there's lots of things. One of the many things that uh, you've come to notice maybe as life and culture and the world has shifted a little bit over the last few over the last few decades or even over um, the last few generations is that there is a somewhat somewhat uh, rhetorical question that can be asked where the the one who asks the question almost almost um, inevitably knows the answer before they even ask it and that's if I were to ask you when was the last time That you spent some legitimate time alone. And when I mean alone, I don't just mean like the kids are in bed and I sit on the couch and I finally have some time to like sit down with my phone and like mindlessly scroll or put on, you know, put on whatever series I'm watching in Netflix. And just spend time alone. I'm not. I'm not. am not talking about like the time alone that we spend, that occurs just kind of naturally through the course of living, where we have little blocks of time where we're not, you know, um, we're not focused on somewhere else or something like that. That it happens all on accident. I'm. I'm talking about the type of alone time that starts with something similar, like an intentional, like an intentional decision to spend time alone. The the type of alone time that starts with saying something similar to like, "I, I, I need, I both need and feel the call of the Holy Spirit for me to place behind, behind me the distractions and demands of life, however good they may be, however noble they may be, with my family, or in my job and occupation, with a close friend, in ministry, even with my kids. But I feel a need to leave behind the demands and distractions, however good, however great they may be, so I can both speak to and hear from God. When's the last time you had that kind of alone time? Where you're like, all nothing, nothing else, literally, nothing else matters in these moments. Nothing else matters for this next short season i it's not it's not just a want it's a i need to be with my father i think it's a a somewhat rhetorical statement somewhat a rhetorical question because most of us um don't we very rarely i should say have these intentional times of solitude where we act actually like actively avoid the situations uh, that are too quiet and too alone. I mean, I don't know, like, uh, if my wife was here, she would tell you that she is a white noise kind of person. Where, like, if she's doing a task in the house or whatever, like, she prefers to have the TV on in the background or music playing or some type of, like, some, some type of white noise, some type of background noise, and it, and it helps... It helps to her to stay focused and to not be to not feel like everything is so quiet and so alone and and I and I'm like that I'm like that too. And I think that a lot of us are like that. We are we are white noise people. Uh, where we get into situations where we actually feel a little bit awkward sitting somewhere alone in extraordinary quiet. Sometimes we feel awkward when we're even sitting with and in a room with other people. Uh, this, is, this is especially true when like, you ever had this situation, you're maybe sitting alone in your room or sitting alone in a place um, and it's a little bit more quiet than you are comfortable with or you're in a room with a bunch of other people um, and you're feeling a little... Uh, you're feeling a little awkward. You're feeling a little uncomfortable, and so to kind of break, to break the even the white noise of your own life that is kind of screaming out for some other type of distraction than either the solitude that you're experiencing or the awkward social situation that you're in. Um, you almost, like a reflex, out of the back pocket, out of the front pocket, out of the purse, comes the phone, and it's like. Well, I, I, like, it makes me feel more safe in my own body. It makes me feel more, more centered in my own head, in my own life. I feel more comfortable in this group of people if I can bury all of my attention into this little device so that I, the rest of the noise, either the, either the absolute deafening noise of the silence that I'm experiencing or the actual noise of people around us can kind of be lost in this Endless type of scrolling. Sometimes that that type of silence can drive us crazy. Sometimes solitude and silence, maybe even having a day off from your how many? Okay, we'll we'll, we'll play this. Um, you're in the sermon now, okay? So this is a theology by vote, like we often do, right? Is um, is how many of you? Throughout your throughout your work week, you're like you're working hard. You're really tired. You can't wait until your weekend or the day that you get off from work, right? And then you get there, you get to the day your day off, and you're like, this is horrible. I have worked. Some of you are like, I don't know what you're smoking, bro, but I am not. You know, I don't think so. Um, Sometimes, you know, like. You work hard, you work hard, you work hard. Oh, I can't wait to have a day off! I can't wait to have a day off! I can't wait to have a day off! And then you get in that moment where you're like, "Okay, I don't have anything to do," and like the chaos of the soul starts to churn, and you start to realize um, how much of your how much of your soul's grounding in the regular week you have you have associated with being busy or doing X or doing Y or running from one place to the next or meeting with people or doing this task or going over here or going over there so that when you slow down in a moment, it's not a moment of relief and relaxation and refreshment. It is downright painful to stop. It hurts. And you get angry with your family and you get angry with your friends you get angry angry with yourself and you have this long list of things that you wanted to get done and you look at it and then you get paralyzed paralysis by analysis of all the things that you need to do this is this is a common feature right in people's lives and the reality is is that one of the one of the reasons that most of us can at least associate with somewhat with some of this is that we live kind of in a culture that's glamorized this type of like breakneck pace type of living and made it a normal practice and behavior so much so that when we when we describe these behaviors we are often not even like embarrassed by how reliant we are on being not present in the world we're not even like really embarrassed by it anymore like oh yeah yeah what was your like how much time did you spend on your phone today oh i spent more time almost like it's kind of a badge of honor And I would say that out of the when we look at the when we look at the life of Jesus, when we look at the example of Jesus, when we look at the ministry of Jesus, um, we see that that Jesus was extraordinarily intentional about, about walking away from even very good and great opportunities to be in ministry to other people so that he could experience solitude in the presence of his Father. That he was willing to say no to the very real needs of those around him, because for him there was a higher and more primary purpose and calling to his life that did not involve meeting even the urgent needs of those around him. So let's look. Um, we're starting in the Gospel of Mark. We're going to look here at the first chapter of Mark and a few other examples, right? We're going to start. Uh, let's start in chapter one of the Gospel of Mark, verse twenty-eight. This is right at the Mark's recording of the beginning of Jesus' ministry. You know, Jesus is here in the in the first moments of Mark. He's calling his first disciples. He's driving out, um, he's driving out an evil spirit. He's exercising demons from others in verses twenty-five and twenty-six, and then in t- verse twenty-seven in Mark chapter one, the people, the crowd that was gathered around to see this, were all so amazed that they asked one another, "What is this? A new teaching and with authority." He even gives orders to evil spirits, and they obey him. In verse twenty-eight, news about him spread. Quickly over the whole region of Galilee. So, not very, not very, um, not very long into the ministry of Jesus, his like his his reputation was growing even then. Like he was gathering, he was gathering a crowd of people around him. Like, can you believe what this guy is doing? These people with evil spirits are being healed immediately. He's teaching as one that has authority, not like our scribes and teachers of the law. Like, like, and so the crowd became became really quickly became immense around him. As we skip forward um, a little a little further in verses 29 through 31, we see that Jesus is continuing to heal. He heals a girl. Um, he heals a girl with a fever. Right, the fever left her. Verse 32 in Mark chapter one. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus. All of the sick and demon-possessed. In verse 33, the whole town, the whole town, gathered at the door of where Jesus was staying. And Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who He was. And so Jesus' fame was growing. News about him was spreading quickly all over the region of Galilee. This was in the, the northern part of what, we, uh, of what we would consider to be the Holy Land, uh, Holy Land north of uh, Jerusalem. In verses 32 and 33 of Mark chapter 1, we see that now as the word is getting out, the town, all the townspeople are bringing all of the sick all of the hurting, all of the diseased, to the door where Jesus is staying. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus spent some time healing some of them and casting out demons. Uh, but then we have we have kind of a kind of a shift in the trajectory of how Jesus continues on in ministry. What would be like, what was the response of Jesus at this incredible opportunity that he had to continue to do ministry in this place where he was obviously very wanted, obviously, like, the reputation was growing, obviously he was having an effect. He was doing really, really, really good things. In fact, not just good things, he was doing really, he was doing really great things. And so in response to all of the opportunity that he had to continue to serve the people that were in front of him. Mark records in, in verse 35 here that very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. So in the midst of the tremendous need that was before Jesus... His response was to understand. All right, if I don't get up, if I'm not up really super early, right? The crowd presses in again. I'm kind of like, I'm, I'm here. Then in that moment, so he makes an intentional decision. He gets up very early. He escapes to a solitary place where he can be with his father and pray. Now, we we know enough about the disciples and how they interacted with Jesus throughout our own kind of like understanding of the gospels and reading through the gospels to kind of forecast what the response of the disciples is going to be to this seemingly odd behavior of Jesus to walk away from people who were very eager to receive healing and 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 teaching from him but instead he got away to a solitary place I can just kind of imagine knowing what the disciples are saying both in their minds and to him in that moment. Like, Jesus, what is you doing, bro? Like, like, all of these people right here at the very doorstep of opportunity to serve and to love and to heal. This is where you should be. This is what you should be doing, Jesus. I, wh- what is your problem? Why are you not doing this? So often, especially in uh, Mark's gospel, you're going to see this. This is a major theme in Mark's gospel. If you chase the trajectory of Jesus' relationship with his disciples in the gospel of Mark um, in particular, you'll see that they are constantly like butting heads, the disciples and Jesus. The disciples want Jesus to continue to grow in fame and power and worldly renown to raise the kingdom of Israel up up and over against the worldly power of the Roman government at that time, reestablish it and then hey Jesus, while you're at it, if you could give us places of prominence and importance in the kingdom, that would be really great. I think that's kind of what we envision your ministry to be, right? And Jesus is constantly time and time and time and time and time again, he's like, "Guys, You don't understand why I have even come if that is your idea of what the kingdom of God looks like. In fact, in Mark chapter 10, he goes on to tell them, he's like, look, the Son of Man has come to serve, not to be served, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so this idea, this this competing idea between the, what the disciples thought Jesus ministry should be and what Jesus actually knew and understood his purpose plan and calling to be was sometimes so diametrically opposed that their that their interactions with Jesus sometimes bordered on what we would consider to be like even disrespectful peter for instance in mark chapter 8 being like lord we're not going to let you go to the cross we're not going to let that happen to you. There's no way that, that, the, that the Messiah, the Lord, that, that that could be the future. And Jesus so seemingly overwhelmed with Peter's, like, naivety as to his mission and calling. said, Satan, get behind me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but what? The things of man. And this is a common theme in the Gospel of Mark, that Constantly the disciples thought that Jesus should do X. One of Jesus' missions was teaching them that the kingdom of God was that he do Y. Right? That, their, that their understanding of Jesus' ministry was so different than what he actually came to do. Now we actually do get a hint of what the disciples' response was. To Jesus escaping away to a solitary place when it seemed like he was so needed and wanted in that place. In verses thirty six to thirty seven, we see Simon and his companions went to look for him. Like guys, we got to go look for him. I don't know where he is. Obviously, he's not paying attention to the tremendous need that's before him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, which is a this is kind of Mark's polite way of saying they yelled at him. Okay? When they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Everyone is looking for you. Now, I'll, full disclosure, I've, I've talked to you about this stuff. Like, as a man who, who, like, the only thing good in me is Jesus. And there are, mo- there are so many moments in my life where I'm like, where, um, where a, a need will come to like my my phone, my doorstep, my office, whatever, right? This very urgent, very necessary, right? Very good thing for me to serve or to pastor through or to help or to love, and and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what my what's going on in my. It doesn't matter what's going on in my life. It doesn't matter what's going on in my family. It doesn't matter what's going on with my calling. Doesn't matter anything else. Everything then gets dropped in the midst of this very urgent need that's come before me because why? Well, because if they need me, that must mean I am extraordinarily important to solving this thing. They need me. That means that I'm the only solution, that I'm the only one, that I'm the only plan. I am very, very important to this process. And and it becomes very, very easy when the urgency of need comes to our doorstep to forget that often God has called us to very different things even beyond the very important and good and great opportunities that are before us. Because what is the response of Jesus? Jesus who we know was a man who was filled with compassion for the people that desired to know him. It wasn't as if Jesus was expressing a hardened heart, an angry spirit towards the ones who needed him in that moment. But he certainly also wasn't just like, well, golly gee, they're looking for me. I'll drop everything that I'm doing right now with my father and I'll run down the mountainside to meet all these needs, neglecting the life of prayer that I'm planting over here now. That's Their needs are obviously more important than the boundary that I've put around my ministry so that I can spend time with the Lord. He doesn't do that at all. In fact, he would, he did the exact opposite. Lord, where have you been? Everyone is looking for you. Verse 38, Jesus replied... Oh, everyone's been looking for us. Okay, well, let us go somewhere else. Let us go somewhere else. To the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. Listen, this next line, what Jesus says, so critical to understanding why and how he could have a response like this in the midst of the very good and great ministry opportunity that was in front of him to heal the sick and to teach with authority. Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. This is why I have come. This is why I have come. Now, this whole... And so then he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues, driving out demons, going to other places, doing the same things that he was doing there, right? This whole interaction has so many... um, There's so many rich parallels and applications to our lives as we both see with our eyes the practice of Jesus that kept him grounded when the busyness of life pressed on him and how in the midst of all of the pressure from the world around him that Jesus set real and unapologetic boundaries that he was not willing to compromise in his life so that he could remain connected to the Father even in the midst of significant opportunity to serve others. That connection to his Father was the primary calling and purpose that Jesus pursued before even he pursued the opportunity to heal others or to teach God's Word or to gather a crowd around him. So let's maybe try and notice a few more things um, from the uh, Scripture. Holy Spirit, I pray, Lord, that you would open your Word uh, to us, Lord, and that you would open our hearts to receive the truth of your Word. Father, break down every boundary and obstacle that we have put in the way of receiving by faith the truth of your Word. We thank you, Lord, that even in the life of Jesus, we see extraordinarily practical examples of setting boundaries around our lives so that we can press into being present with you. Father, write this this truth on our hearts, Lord, so that we may carry it with us into our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So first and foremost... Understanding the primary purposes and callings of your life is the first step in establishing healthy boundaries that protect your time, your energy, your focus, and your time with the Father. Understanding the primary purposes and callings of your life is the first step in establishing healthy boundaries that protect time, energy, focus, and time with the Father. Not setting boundaries will make you always, right, will make you always a slave to the urgency of others. And sometimes their urgency has nothing to do with your calling or your purpose No matter how good or great the situation that they present to you actually is. Understanding who God has called you to be, both in the season of life and in the position of life that you currently sit, is critical and crucial to understanding how we say no to the urgent demands of others. Now, Look at it this way. Jesus was able to look at Simon Peter and his companions and say, with zero guilt, with zero hesitation, I'm not going where the crowd wants me to go. I'm going to the next place to preach there also, for this is why I have come. He understood that, that he, had, he had a primary purpose and a primary calling that set outside of the the, um, urgent demand of that particular crowd to keep Jesus corralled in the house so that he can continue to heal and preach to them. Jesus understood that his purpose was not to plant down in a singular location and to soak up all of the brokenness of other people's lives, no matter how good and how great it would have been for him to do so. He had a purpose, ultimately, to make his way to Jerusalem, to give his life as a ransom for many, and that the pathway to the purpose of doing so took him to many towns across many different regions, to many different people, to do many miraculous signs and wonders. This wasn't Jesus being uncaring, this was Jesus caring about what his father had called him to more than what the urgency of the crowd demanded of his time. This was actually Jesus caring in the right direction. In fact, in, uh, for instance, in Matthew chapter 14, uh, Matthew chapter 14, we see it also here, if you want to stay in the same gospel, in Mark chapter 6. In Mark chapter 6, in the feeding of the uh, 5,000, I'm not sure if I have this even up on the screen. If it's not, just follow along in your scripture. Mark chapter 6, verses, uh, starts at verse 30. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught, right? Jesus had sent the, uh, sent the apostles out, right? Uh, then, because so many people were coming and going, that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Jesus is even passing on this lesson to his disciples. The crowd is great. The need is great. They're pressing in. They want more. They want more. They want more. And is it a good thing? Yes, it's a great opportunity for ministry. It's a tremendous opportunity for ministry. But listen to me, men. Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. And so they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all of the towns and got there ahead of them. Listen, do you... Picture yourself, right? Um, Picture yourself on... Uh, let's see, picture yourself in Mayville, right? Thing in Chautauqua Lake. Picture yourself in Mayville. Jesus teaching on the shores next to the Chautauqua Bell, right? Doing great things, right? And the disciples are like, man, the, the needs are so great, and, we haven't had, and Jesus is like, listen, we need some time to get away to a solitary place, to rest, to take some nourishment, and to, like, to be with our Father, right? Get in this boat, right? and putter across the lake over to John and Maureen's house, right? Over over in Bemis Point, dock there in Bemis Point, and and that'll give us a chance while we're on the water to get some solitary breaks. And, And what Mark is saying here is that as they're puttering across this lake, the crowd of people is like running along the shore from Mayville to Bemis watching the boat the entire time so that they can meet them when they get on the shore on the opposite side. These people were crazy in need from a touch from Jesus. Crazy in need. And to think that Jesus' response to go into solitude and, um, and separation from them was hard-hearted or mean or uncaring or not compassionate at all, it wasn't that at all because we see even in Mark chapter 6, also in Matthew chapter 14, Many saw them leaving, recognized them, ran on foot from all the towns, got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, what was his response? Leave us alone. We need some space. We need some boundaries. Not, Not his response at all, right? His response was he saw the crowd and had compassion on them because they were like a sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them. By many, he began teaching them many things, right? And so he entered back into ministry. It wasn't. It wasn't Jesus. It wasn't Jesus displaying an unkind or frustrated or exasperated heart or posture towards the people, right? It was him understanding. You no, know, we need some space away. We need some time with the Father, right? But we also are sitting in a place of compassion. For these people who are like a sheep without a shepherd. In Matthew's account, in Matthew chapter 14, it says that Jesus went to go, go ahead after he got out of the boat. He met the needs of the people once again, and then he escaped once more up the mountainside to pray. He dismissed them and went up to a solitary place on a mountainside to pray. Matthew chapter 14, verse 23. It's important, Right? That you, that I, that we, that we consider, that we ask, that we discover, that we receive from the Lord the knowledge of what our primary calling in life is. Who has God called me to be? We often use this language and think of it exclusively in like, well, um you know it, well no, god 's not calling me to ministry i i, I don 't feel called to be a pastor or i don 't feel called to work in a church and that and 's not what that 's not what i 'm saying here right obviously, it applies right to callings that we have in ministry but i i 'm talking about who God has called you to be in your heart and in your life like on a regular semi normal basis who has called who has God called you to be? Who has He called you to? Where has He set your direction? Who has God called you to serve? God God may be calling you primarily to serve your children and your wife as a father and as a husband. Are you setting boundaries around the primary calling and purpose of your life? God may have called you uh, and your primary purpose to be a mother or to be a wife with children to shepherd and lead. God may have called you as your primary purpose, at least in this season, to uh, to be a spouse that lays down your life for one another, to serve them and love them in the ways that Jesus has loved the church. God may have called you to be an extraordinarily close friend to someone who is alone, feels abandoned in life, doesn't know God, or certainly doesn't experience, can't experience or feel his love for them. God may have called you to, be, to have tremendous, in, tremendous gifts in, in, like, in the business world, business owner, to use your business as a platform for promoting integrity, Honesty and building up the kingdom of God in all of the spheres of influence that you have, and a dozen more things where God has called you into a primary purpose and position. But I'll tell you this, right? Because you might be you might be sitting in this place where you're being like, "Well, I don't really know like where in my life God is." Has called me where God, where, where like with the primary purpose that God is establishing in my life. There is no I want you to hear this before you hear anything else. There is no greater calling in your life than to be a son or daughter of the Father. Yes, that is your primary calling that sits as the foundation for every other calling and purpose that you could possibly ever, ever have. That God has called you first to be a son or a daughter. Now we said earlier that not setting boundaries makes us a slave to the urgency of others and sometimes their urgency has nothing to do with our calling or purpose. And so if you don't set boundaries that are established in your purpose or calling as a son or and as a daughter of the father you are likely to become a slave to how others feel like you should show up in the various callings of your life and that you and that especially rob you of the time necessary to be solely and undistractedly present to your father not just in mark's gospel but all over the four gospels we see the accounts of Jesus leaving the many to go and spend time with the one he often did this alone sometimes he took others with him that like we saw in mark chapter 6 he took others with him so uh, both so that they could do their own praying but also so that he could show them that their own lives had become overwhelmed with the demands of others in ministry, I want you to hear something. We do not, you do not, you do not honor God by neglecting solitude with Him in the name of serving others. That is not honoring to God. It is not honoring to God to say I am just so busy being a mom that I just don't have time to spend time with my to spend time alone with him. It is not honoring to God to say, "Hey man, I'm a I'm a dad and a husband and I'm working my, you know, like I'm working like a dog and I'm coming home and I'm going to the baseball games and I'm 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 working on my house and I'm doing this and I'm doing that. And at the end, like, at the end of the day, when I get home, I'm like, like, I'm just like sliding into home plate by the skin of my teeth. And it's all I can do to fall into bed and fall asleep and get it up and do it the next day. I just got no time to, uh, spend time with my father. But, like, I am serving the Lord by serving my family. Like, do not fool yourself. Okay. Do not fool yourself. We are always the, very best salesman for our bad decisions. Right. I'm just serving. I'm just serving God and serving serving the serving my family by by working really hard. I'm not spending any time with the Lord, right? But I, I certainly am working hard to serve my family. Look, that's not to that's not to look down on that, right? We want we want to work hard. We want to love our kids. We want to spend lots of time with them. We want to pour we want to pour everything that we have and can into their life but listen we do not honor God by neglecting him to the benefit of others. We hurt others in our lives by neglecting the solitary moments where God's spirit pours into us through relationship. It goes for dads and moms and husbands and wives and friends and neighbors and pastors and whomever. We do not honor God by neglecting our time with Him in, in, the, in the name of serving others. We also don't serve others well. You cannot serve your husband well. You cannot serve your wife well. You cannot serve your kids well. You cannot serve your coworkers well. You cannot serve your church well. You cannot serve anyone well well from a place uh, you cannot serve anyone well or from the place of where God has called you and gifted you when you attempt to serve others out of the like bank account of your own power. Disconnected totally from him never praying, never seeking, never listening, never in His Word, never fasting, never giving, never in solitude. We are powerless in all areas of life when we are disconnected from the vine that is Him. We are cut off. We are a dead and withered branch. We will not last long. And I will tell you this, whatever place you are called to be, Whether it's in the marketplace or the church or your ministry or your home or with your kids or with your spouse, listen, you will not rise to the level of your calling. You will fall to the level of your abiding in Him. You are not going to rise to the level of the tremendous calling that God has given to you. You will fall. ...to the level of your abiding in Him. It's not like, well, God has given me this call... ...and so that's where I'm going. No. God has showed you where He wants to take you. You will get there as you remain connected with Him. But if you think you're getting there all on your own... ...just because He's put it in your heart, you're mistaken. Because you have no power to do the things that He's put in your heart if you are disconnected from the source of power which is abiding in Him which is your presence with Him which is your solitude with Him Blaise Pascal I don't often quote scientists and philosophers because I think generally it's garbage when we have the wisdom of God's Word right in front of us right? okay? But he said something that I thought was a really bad example, so I'm going to use it. Mm-mm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. all right. uh, he said, uh, all, of, "All of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly alone in a room." Okay All of man's problems, all of humanity's problems, stem. From man's inability to sit quietly alone in a room, and while I think that okay, okay, Mr. Pascal, you're you're onto something here. You're onto something. He didn't go far enough, okay? Because listen, Jesus, Jesus didn't get away from the crowds. Jesus didn't. Jesus didn't separate himself from the urgent demands of others. And the work of his calling, so that he could simply just sit down in a log, on a log and put his feet up and relax a little bit. That wasn't it. It was not solitude and escaping from the crowds for solitude's sake. We don't retreat from life's busyness and hustle and bustle as an end in and of itself. We don't don't silence the urgent noises and voices of the crowd just because we want to silence the urgent noises and voices of the crowd. Retreating from these things is not an achievement. It is an instrument. Retreating from the noise, retreating from the crowd, retreating from the urgency is not an achievement. It is an instrument, an opportunity to open up our lives and souls to him for whom we were made and has called us to know and enjoy him. Solitude for solitude itself is not the goal. Listen, the goal is him. The goal is to know him. Solitude gives us an opportunity for our souls to be unburdened by the noise that is continually blaring in our lives and allows us maybe for the first time in a long time to hear the gentle, quiet whisper of His voice. There's generally two ways in which the Lord speaks to us, at least what we see in Scripture. We see in moments where we get alone, right? And our posture changes. And the noise of our life comes down, right? And everything else remains silent. We hear in those moments the gentle, quiet whisper of the kindness and goodness of our Lord. And then there's another way that the Lord speaks to us. When we are running around in life, frantically trying to do everything under our own power, through our own circumstances, chaotically living from one moment to the next, all the while saying, Why isn't the Lord speaking to me? Why isn't the Lord why isn't the Lord saying anything? Why isn't the Lord guiding me? Why don't I hear the Lord? Why can't I hear wisdom for the next step? Until the point where the circumstances of our life, the trial of our life, right? That Lord the Lord speaks in two ways. If you're not going to silence the noise of your life so you can see the gentle, quiet whisper of his life or of his voice, right? The circumstances of your life will force you into submission to hear him. Listen, it is not an uncompassionate, unloving thing when the Lord breaks us of our stubbornness through the circumstances that bring brokenness into our lives so that we are reduced to a pile of rubble that can hear nothing else but then the healing voice of the Lord because we have refused for our entire life to slow down and turn everything off just long enough to hear that he wants to speak to us gently, but he's not opposed to speaking us to us harshly through circumstance to get our attention. Because it, both things lead to the same result. Him. We have him. Solitude is not the goal. It was not the goal for Jesus. Jesus. Being alone was not the goal for Jesus. It was the instrument. It was the instrument to hear the voice of the Lord. It was an instrument to be connected to Him with His Spirit. Listen, if Jesus if Jesus left the crowd of people who wanted healing so that He could be in a solitary place with His Father in prayer and communion with Him, you are not too busy to do the same. You're not. You think you are. Right? You think you are. If Jesus wasn't too busy to leave the crowd of people that He legitimately could heal with a touch or a word, right? to get to a solitary place, if he wasn't too busy to get away and be like, man, yeah, I know this is urgent over here, but there's something much more urgent over here. Is like, I need time with my father and I need it. Not tomorrow, not after the task is done. I need it now. If Jesus is not too busy to be in prayer and communion with him, then you are not too busy. Let us set aside the worldly excuses of being too important, too scheduled, too busy, serving others or serving God. You know, because you can't really serve a God that you don't know. And you can't know him unless you're spending time with him. You might serve your family well. For a time, you might even serve the church well. But serving the Father is something different. Let us set aside the worldly excuses of being too important, too scheduled, too busy serving others or serving God to intentionally set time alone with God this week. Well, Pastor, yeah, okay. I will try to see if, you know, if there's a moment here or there where I feel like, oh, yeah, maybe I could probably fit in some alone time today. Like, I could probably get away from my schedule to do that. I'll just kind of see how my day's going and kind of play by ear. And uh, when, when I I'll recognize that I have a little bit of free time, and I'll, I'll just do it. No, you will not. <laughs> you won't. Right? You would have done it already. You won't. Um... We need intentional decisions to do this. Right? Jesus woke up early the next morning. I got to assume that even Jesus appreciated sleeping in once in a while. Okay? But Jesus woke up before the crowds' pressure and urgency was on him so that he could spend time in a solitary place with his Father. Now I do also understand throughout just like the the you know, like the practical application of developing a discipline of solitude and silence before the Lord so that you can commune with Him and meet with Him and allow, his, allow the loving kindness of His presence to wash over you. That, that, that thinking that you're going to set us... Like, day one. Okay, I've never done this before, but today, 3 a.m., here I go. Now, don't hear me as saying... Don't get up at 3 a.m. and spend three hours with the Lord before your kids get up or you've got to go to work or whatever. Do it, right? All right. But I'm also saying let's be gentle and understanding with our own process of developing the discipline of spending time alone with Him. Okay? Start with 15 minutes in the day, whether it's in the morning, midday, or later at night. Schedule it, plan it, set it. Let nothing violate the boundary. Now listen, when we talk about being alone with the Lord, I mean talking about being alone. Right? Like alone. I'm spend some time alone with the Lord here. Uh, it's going to... Read a couple verses on my phone. I'm going to start some music, right? Um, uh, this is a pretty good verse. I better post that to Insta. Uh, I'm going to share it over here as well. Like, listen, smash it if you need to. I don't, like, someday none of y'all are ever going to be able to get a hold of me because the day is coming uh, with me, okay, where this gets smashed, right? But when we talk about being alone with the Lord, we don't talk. I'm not. What I don't mean is we'll make sure people can still get a hold of you. I mean, right? I mean, you gotta make sure you get your texts still. No, I mean legitimately. Turn your phone off and leave it in another room. Take off your smartwatch, right? Um, You're not. You're not. uh, You're not reading your favorite pastor's latest book. In, in devotional life, right? If you have something with you in silence and solitude with the Lord, it's His Word, right? Which reveals His Spirit and His will into our lives, where God speaks to us through this, right? This is the revelation of God's, uh, of, of God's heart to us. And so while you're alone with the Lord, be alone with His Word, but not with your phone. Listen. Not with another person. Tell me not to study the Word and be in prayer with my kids or my spouse or my wife. That's not what I'm telling you. Do it. Another time. At another time. In the day. Right? Be alone with the Lord. Be alone. And be silent. And turn off the noise. Not with worship music on not with or alongside anyone else alone with your bible great but that's it speak with god allow him to speak with you work your way up to more time and more time and more time until you're training your heart and training your ears to hear the gentle voice of the spirit crying out calling out speaking to you Maybe start with this prayer. And I know uh, if you're going to use this prayer in your quiet time, you might have to take a picture of it now. (laughs) But then don't take the picture with you into your quiet time. (laughs) Write it down on the cover of your Bible or on a piece of paper, stick it in where you're going to read, right? And then use this, okay? I'm going to be praying this over you all All week. Uh, You can pray it over one another, Um, and I'll be praying as well in my own in my own moments of solitude. Here we go, Heavenly Father, I am here to meet with you. I want nothing else. Silence the noise of my soul that has me consistently deaf to your voice. Make clear your primary callings of my life so that I may stand firm against the urgency of the world to lead me astray. Before your gifts, Lord, give me a hunger for your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. A solitary place to meet with the Lord allow him to bless and encourage you building a sense of your presence together with one another remember solitude is not the goal the goal is him God and God alone is the goal we're not developing the discipline so that we can say hey I spent time alone time alone is not the same thing as developing time in the presence of the Father as a prisoner for the Lord then of us all, who is over all and through all and in all. Glory be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who binds us together through His Spirit by faith. Conduit, you are loved. Go in peace this morning. Amen. One last thing. Listen. Pastor Luke, in very very quick fashion, put put an extended guide to um, basically having your own Bible study in quiet and solitary time, coincidentally, on the app. So uh, it's on the front page of the app. You can see it there um, and use that for uh, for your own time. Thank you. Have a great week. I love you.